Sci-Fi Sisters are now sponsored by Aria Comics, located at 313 Halstead Avenue, Harrison, New York. Aria Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Positive and upbeat, they invite you to come in and experience their selection and atmosphere. Looking for something new and different to read? Their staff is always willing to help you find a book that will put a spring in your step and get you hooked on something new. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. With awesome events like creator signings and Facebook Live sales, where you can find everything from mainstream comics to collectibles to hard-to-find editions, make All Year Comics your comics destination. Their customers are the most important part of the business, and they want to hear from you as well. So give them a call at 914-732-3600. That's 914-732-3600. Ah, uh, yeah, comics. Let's be awesome together. Hi, family. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Sisters podcast, where we give you our point of view. We are proud members of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network, and we are so excited to bring you this show today. I'm Tamia Harper, and I'm joined by my sister, Sabrina Wood. Whoop, whoop. And Yvette Blackman Tom. Hello. <laughs> okay, listeners, you are in for a treat. We have a show in store for you today. Uh, we have a wonderful guest that we are so excited to bring to you. She's a critical race sociologist, author, and educator who many of us came to learn from and lean on during these past few troublesome years and that critical summer of reckoning. She is a professor of sociology at SUNY Stony Brook, where she teaches courses on racism and ethnic relations, sociological theory, and qualitative methods. Her books include Resurrecting Slavery, Racial Legacies, and White Supremacy in France, How to Be Less Stupid About Race, on Racism, White Supremacy, and the Racial Divide, and her latest book, Aimed at Young Adults, which just released this October, Rise Up, How You Can Join the Fight Against White Supremacy. Ladies and gents and variations thereupon, please welcome Dr. Crystal Marie Fleming. Yay! Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to chat with you. We, We are so excited to have you with us. Now, I know from the tweets and everything that <laughs> that you just finished watching deep space nine yes and i didn't want to watch it for a long time i put it off um i was a tng stan i grew up on picard picard was my captain i didn't want to hear nothing about no cisco didn't want to hear about no space station. I know many people explained to me that I was missing out on something and they were right. They were so right. let me ask you this. You, you never watched Spencer for Hire? You didn't know Avery Brooks was hot? No. Or nothing? All no. Right. Okay. I just want to know. Did, just ask. I did not. So for a friend. the whole backstory about like how he, you know, how he appeared on the show mm-hmm. and how they didn't want him to look like the character he had played and all that. I didn't know anything about that. So <laughs> new to Avery Brooks. I'm, I'm ashamed to say it, but I was new to Avery Brooks and his genius. You okay. know what? The okay. only thing that matters is that you're not new to Avery Brooks now anymore. Yeah. <laughs> that you are hip true. to the jazz that is Avery Brooks that runs through all of us. And there is more, <laughs> more than John Luke Picard. 
There's so much more. There's so much more. Um, <laughs> I've, I've, thank goodness I, I got into Discovery as well. I'm very nice. safe about uh, the new season. But yeah, I mean, uh, gosh, I don't even know where y'all want to start. But it's uh, I, I took a I took a good long time to watch DS9 this year. I think I pretty much started over the summer mm-hmm. and gave myself a few months to really, really savor the series. I think that's what it deserves and what it needs. I think it's one of the reasons why um, all these years later, because I was an original watcher of DS9 when Mm -hmm. it first came out, I watched it first run It immediately became my Star Trek. I had grown up on watching original Trek in reruns, you know, in the seventies and then TNG came on. So that was the Trek that I had around me all the time. And then DS9 came on and I was like, this black man running everything. And it was so different in tone than TNG. I was immediately sucked in. I was like, okay, this is my show. You know, this is my show. But DS9, just like a fine wine, gets better with time. (laughs) I am sipping some. Yeah, it's it's interesting with DS9, just, just like you described, I mean, granted, I was able to binge watch it, even though I took my time, but I could, you know, watch back to back. You old heads who really watched it back in the day, you had to wait week to week, right? Hey, I mean, that's right. Some, and some of us had to right. pay attention. <laughs> I mean, that's real dedication, but it's also, as everyone knows now, you know, that serialized storytelling, which was a huge contrast with TNG. And I, People kept telling me, like, you're going to love the storytelling, the narrative arcs and, and serialized uh, 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 stories. And I didn't want to hear it. I mm-hmm. loved the idea of TNG. You just get a nice packaged story. It doesn't matter really which episode you're watching. You'll get it mm-hmm. all wrapped up with the bow. But DS9 was really innovative. Uh, I now could appreciate it at the time. Uh, and it, it just sucks you in. Um, and... I don't know who my captain is at this point. I have to say Picard. I grew up in Picard. I feel like, I feel, I don't know. But there's no shame. I mean, whichever one brought you in. Yeah, there's no shame. There's no shame. Yeah, but Cisco. I I feel like that's all that needs to be said. But Cisco. (laughs) Well, you know, I think interestingly, and, you know, I, I was tweeting about this, I don't know, some weeks ago. We can get into, if you like, um, and I know I felt like it's kind of weird for people who watched it so long ago to to be talking about it all these years later. It's been decades, but like you said, it, it, I imagine it's like a fine wine. But with Cisco, there's something in the way that the writers fleshed out his humanity, right? Beyond just being a captain, you get obviously you get the father, you get the son, um, you get his, um, you know, his growing spirituality in a way you Mm -hmm. get you know his uh ease with children right it's a much more fleshed out character than picard in many ways yeah and yet there was something for me in the black respectability politics of the role Mm. that i felt nevertheless was somewhat constraining with cisco i felt that he was always kind of in the confines of some genre of black respectability, even if they pushed against it, right. By letting him have, letting him have his goatee, letting mm-hmm. him have exactly. the ball. Um, 
despite right those those the anti-blackness that would have prevented him from being able to just inhabit that presentation of black manhood but there was something in him that was respectable that I felt like with Picard Picard I, I think his sexuality and his sensuality was more developed sometimes in some respects than Cisco even though Cisco had his you know deep relationships with with two women in particular and that's just my my quick take but uh I love DS9 it's um something I plan to I, I warned my partner I'm like honey she's not a Trekkie I'm like you know this is just gonna be on the background for a long yeah. like it's just gonna be on <laughs> well I think that's such an interesting point that you bring up because about um the respectability and I think that you know I think really at the time, it it can be constrained when you have to be the spokesperson, the role model, the example, the one example in all of TV. At that time, you know, DS9 got no love for being so far ahead of its time in that respect about having a Black lead of a show who really demonstrated all this Black love with his son, you know, you know, they, you, uh, I forget and what that art and with his father. and with his father exactly, which is a beautiful relationship, like really intimate, really gentle, uh, very supportive, very real. You know, um, they, they they did have the responsibility to show, you know, like you said, that respectability because we had so many black characters mm-hmm. in other roles on yes. TV that were so, such negative portrayals, mm-hmm. and then Avery Brooks really did take a lot of time to craft. Uh, how he was portrayed on the show and what elements of black and African history were portrayed and infused throughout the show and his relationship with Jake Sisko. Yeah. I think at the time, like it it, it sort of had to be like, we didn't have the ability, the freedom really to portray ourselves any other way. That's the burden of being a trailblazer. And even, even the, the very first, the very first episode emissary in that one time that he did give that little bit of rebellion and snap back at Picard, you know, fans went crazy. Did they really? Yeah. They, they were, were mad listen, at I, I, I was there. Okay. Yes. Yeah. People were talking about how could he disrespect Picard? How could he come up to him like that? He should have shown more respect. And I was like, Oh, I can't wait for this show. This is going to be good. Because <laughs> I'm from Boston, and Spencer okay. Fahaya was Boston. So we were into Hawk. And when we heard that Hawk was going to be on Star Trek, yeah. my world aligned. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he came right in talking smack to Picard. I was like, I'm going to take that little granule, and I can live with that for the next seven years. Yeah. Yep. He, was my, he was my captain the minute, because I'm not a Picard fan. So yeah. the minute he went off on Picard and told him where he stood, he stood up. That that was the black man for me. I was like, see, I see that. I see, only, I see a black man doing that because yeah. it's like, I have no, I don't give two shits no more. My my wife is dead. Yeah. You put me on this space station. Listen, this is not what I'm going to do. This is what you're going to do for me. I was like, see, this is it. This is my, this is my show. This is it right here, right here. Not to mention, the cards. Go ahead. I was saying, I I take great, I take great love in listening to every scene where Cisco dresses down one of his command, and I don't think anyone does it quite as well as Cisco. I mean, he even put (laughs) Worf in his place, and I know Picard has done it too, but 
Yeah. Cisco has just a way of doing it. And and there's a dignity in his yes. bearing mm-hmm. um, yeah. that commands respect yeah. uh, in a way that was unprecedented in television. Uh, and in some ways, I think still is. It's it's also Avery Brooks is a badass, incredible actor. He really um, is. And is. not knowing him personally, what I've seen from interviews, he seems to be in his presentation, very different in some ways than the character of Cisco mm-hmm. in some ways, and which makes the portrayal and the performance even more incredible. <laughs> like mm-hmm. um, you use jazz earlier to describe uh, um, uh, Avery Brooks yes. and a lot of people do, but I don't think that comes through so much in Captain Cisco. It's very, right. uh, not, not jazz. No, some, there's not something jazz. else. Mm-hmm. There's something else in the portrayal, which I think also just speaks to to Brooks's genius. Yeah, I mean, listen, as a Picard stan, um, that first scene where, you know, they have that kind of confrontation, I felt I felt he was absolutely justified. I mean, his wife was killed. I thought that the writing for Picard, it, 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 it was very strange. It made it made it seem as though Picard almost was still in his Borg mode where he he had no feeling. He did not seem to care about the human tragedy that he had been a part of enacting, um, which I don't know if that I don't know if it was actually true to the character of Picard. It could have been. But I thought they they seem to have written him in a way where it's like you, you, you're you're out of pocket. Right. I mean, he was out of pocket. You know, I always thought that. Picard, I, I understand exactly what you mean about that scene. And I always thought of that scene as Picard was just so guilt-ridden about what had happened mm-hmm. that he just goes into like a, I'm just not going to talk about it, kind of like a, I can't deal with it. Yeah, I can't mm-hmm. deal with it. He's like, I am face-to-face now with someone whose wife died because I was the cutest of Borg. What am I going to yeah. say to this guy? You know, I can't say and, shit and to I'm him. Sure, I'm sure that wasn't the first person. No, no, not you know, that sure scene that we saw. That's the first person we saw, but that definitely, there was no way that was the first person he had to deal right. with. Right. So I always loved that scene because I can just, you know, I, I'm a Picard fan. I mean, I love Next Gen. Listen, I love all the captains, you know, but I'll tell you right now. <laughs> Kirk's my captain. I'm going to well, say we right now. You know who my captain is. The shat, the shat, the shat every day. Okay, that's over. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just love that. I love both of those actors. I think uh, Patrick Stewart and Avery Brooks going toe to toe. I don't yeah. care what they Perfect wrote. Scene. It's going to. Do, <laughs> do you think we're going to get to see that in Picard? Like, do you yes. think it's going to happen? I do. I believe I need, it. I need this. I, I believe I, this so will be in Picard. I believe it. I'm just saying that. I'm ooh. saying it. I don't know anything. I'm just saying. It. <laughs> we're just throwing it out there. I, and you know, Picard we have, people we have watched that it. thing. Yeah. If you're listening. And we know and we, you are. You are. <laughs> We're listening. We'd love to see it. Yeah, we would. I would love to. I mean, I think that you guys are right. I mean, I would have loved. I think that's one of the things that um, actually I mourn about that first episode is that I don't get more scenes with um, with Patrick Stewart and Avery Brooks together. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I just would have loved to. I would, yeah. I would have eaten that up. I mean, so okay. So let's jump forward in Deep Space Nine. We get bald Avery. Uh, we get we get we get him we get bald Avery with the goatee so we get him finally in his power somewhat similar to um Sonequa Martin Green 
Uh-huh. Getting her natural hair and stepping into her power is Michael Burnham. Like I see some similarities there because when we first see Sonequa, when we first see Michael Burnham, right, she's all uh-huh. vulcaned out, right? Like, so uh-huh. she's widesized with, you know, the straight hair with this really tight, tight, That's like very, mm-hmm. right, precise cut, you know, and then the freer she becomes, the freer her hair gets, you know, and the more expression, and she's talked about how that was a direct and conscious decision, you know, and so um, I guess if there's a question in there, which I don't really know that there is, (laughs) I guess the question would be, um, do you have any thoughts about this expression of power and Blackness as it regards their their physical appearance or how it meant for what, what you saw when, when you were watching deep space nine for the first time, how did it, did it have an impact on you at all? Well, I mean, I'll just be blunt. I enjoyed Cisco in the very first episodes. I thought he looked a little corny. He mm-hmm. looked a little corny, right? He didn't yep. seem right. Like you can tell when he comes, what season is it when he, when he comes and he has the bald head and the goatee. Is it like season? I think it's three or four. Three, three, three. three, three, three I think. Um, my my partner, who I said is not a Trekkie, but she, you know, come in and watch sometimes. She saw the beginning of one of the the first episodes of like season four, where he has the goatee, and she's like, "Who's that? Who who that man?" Like, that's Captain Cisco. She's like, "No, that's." This. She's like, "Who that handsome man? That is Cisco. That is still Cisco." <laughs> But so he definitely had his swagger when he could just be himself as an actor in the role. Um, And I mean, thoughts about all of this, um, what I would say, and none of this, you know, is, is rocket science, but I think it it bears saying, you know, like one of the, the, the core elements of anti-blackness and anti-black racism is the policing of our bodies. Right. Um, many different kinds of policing, how we can present it, uh, what, you know, how proximate that presentation is to norms and ideals defined by white people, uh, particularly white people with money. Uh, Mm -hmm. The policing of how we move, where we move, what we wear. Um, And so, of course, we see this in television. I was looking at the, uh, the documentary, what we left behind right? yeah and whoever that uh, exec from paramount was the oh, uh, one with the tennis sweater tied around his shoulders yeah yeah that was berman right? that was... With, the, with the piano in the background yeah exactly <laughs> so you know they asked him about about this about you know avery brooks hair and all that and do you remember the, the a word he used was street street mm-hmm. exactly it would be street and street. i thought wow the audacity for him to say that. and i don't even know that when he said that that he understood how he sounded mm-hmm. because i she, think he did because he didn't want to say it he didn't want to say it, it right was and nice. then he said well i don't the word is streets you know i was like mm-hmm. you knew what mm-hmm. you were saying you right yeah. but but and and I don't even know what words would have been used back then yeah. uh, right. when decisions were made. You know, he was he he probably thought he was being polite mm-hmm. uh, now. But so you know, the that just gives you a sense of how hard it is to still just be black, right? Because we're still you know, these days. I'm reading a lot in in black studies. Um, actually, 
number one, for my enjoyment and my edification, but number two, because I, I'm going to be uh, writing about Star Trek um, and some different themes, but bringing it into dialogue with Black studies and critical race scholarship. But uh, there's a Black studies scholar named Ronaldo Walcott, is uh, based in Canada. And uh, his latest book is very much in this vein of explaining that people get caught up in phrases like the post-civil rights, you know, era, or, you know, this idea that we are, we're in, you know, post-emancipation, that we have, we're free, Black folks are free. And no, what we have in the aftermath of, of slavery is the prolongation of unfreedom for mm. Black Different, different shades and different, different shades. Mm-hmm. variations of unfreedom, but that is the extension of the situation we're still living with, and it shows up even in how you can wear your hair. I mean, and how and how you can, what you can adorn your body with, and and so I think it was a big deal for mm-hmm. uh, for Captain Cisco to be presented in the way that Avery Brooks, the black man the great actor playing him wanted to, wanted to play him. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a big deal. Oh, it definitely made a difference. I think it made a difference in everything. The acting. Yeah. It looked, it felt like the storyline was even better. I, I don't know. It just, it resonated better with me. And I, I'm pretty sure with a lot of other uh, black Trekkies, because it definitely, also, we, we could definitely consider it black Trek. I mean, yes, that's what it is. I mean, I also, I mean, I, I think he just looked, I mean, he, he's a very handsome man, but also mm-hmm. I think his natural way of being is very attractive. So yes. I have to be honest, I, I, I'm an intellectual, uh, yada, yada, yada. But when I watch Star Trek, I want fantasy. I want mm-hmm. somebody to look good on my screen. I, <laughs> I, want, I want there to be electricity between the characters. Yeah. And when Avery Brooks stepped down and he was like, bam, I was like, right. yes, I'm here for it. I, yes. I, <laughs> my, favorite, my favorite scene is when Cassidy finally sees him with his bald head and she puts her hand. I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> that's for all of us. That was for all of us. That was, was for all of us. I've lived through, and I was love how she talked about that on um, in the documentary and what yes. we left behind. Yes. You know, yeah. I was like, yes, girl, we were all there with you. It was <laughs> like you. that was my hand. <laughs> All right. You know, and I love and and Iris Stephen Bear also talked about, you know, how, you know, they they didn't write the character of Cisco, you know, as this experienced man with this power. They originally wrote this character as like more of a coming age story of a character going to step into that power. But here they got this fully developed man. So he always knew that Avery had to be a captain, you Mm. know, and not and not a commander. I love the fact that he pointed that out and that he acknowledged that they knew that too. Um, You know, because we, you could definitely, there was a sense of feeling restrained and feeling shackles around him as we were watching it, you know? Um, And now that as you're talking, uh, I'm, I'm thinking that maybe, although it wasn't intentional, looking back a couple of decades now, there, there's a power even in that the shift that we get to see the presentation of the of of, of, of Cisco, uh, you know, constrained and and not inhabiting himself the way he would like to naturally. And that shift went when he when he gets in his in his zone. Like if the show had started there, then it mm-hmm. wouldn't have been a journey, mm-hmm. yeah. right? So we got to go on that journey and, and to see it visually uh, and to see it in in the corporality of 
how Cisco's body and his face and his hair was presented. I think that that's, um, you know, it's, it's true to the actual process of how the, the character was developed and the relationship between the actor and, and the show production. But it also, I think, looking back, it's actually, a, um, it's, it's kind of nice that we can be a part of that. Mm-hmm. I, yes. I, I, yeah. Yes, it's one of our favorite episodes where he finally gets Steph with Pip, and it's I love it. I love it. So, but can we? So we go to the show that we want to talk to. Yeah, I was just going to go there. Let's let's do yeah, it. Yeah, because we could just stay here and talk about Avery all day long. But all let's day. go right <laughs> to the main show, and we want to talk about Far Beyond the Stars. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's. It's it's got to be well at least in our neck of the woods it's every black truckie's favorite that we know, um, <laughs> yeah. um, and it's such an important uh, important episode. I wonder what what thoughts you might have on that episode. Well, I, I had heard so much about it even before I saw it. I kept telling people, don't tell me what happens. Don't tell me anything about Farpia. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Um, and so when I finally saw it, I was, uh, I, was, I was blown away. I mean, I cry easily when I watch TV. So crying <laughs> during DS9 or any episode of Trek is something that often happens. But I definitely uh, shed some tears in Far, Far Beyond the Stars. There's, there's, a, there's a lot. There's a lot. Um, one of the things that struck me uh, in, in that episode is this idea of um, Star Trek directly bringing anti-Black racism and, and this country's history of racism in particular uh, to the foreground and not letting it be the subtext, right, of having a Black captain but to actually take you back in time, right? Time travel is such a, I mean, it's such a frequent trope in Star Trek, right? I mean, right. all kinds of, right? But, but not like this, mm-hmm. not like this. And, um, you know, I, I'm kind of curious about how that episode might have been different with Black writers involved. Mm. Um, you know, obviously Avery Brooks was very involved in the directing and all, but I do, I do wonder a little bit about how, how the writing might've been different if, mm-hmm. if it had been black writers, but I do want to give them credit for even having used the time travel device in that way. Um, time and temporality is an, a, a like deep interest for me as a scholar. Like my first book was, was about, uh, France was actually about the commemoration of slavery and the work that activists and ordinary people are doing today in France uh, to bring attention to the slavery past and its connection to the present. Uh, so although they didn't talk a lot about slavery in that episode, anti-Blackness and racism and, and violence against Black, Black men, Black boys, uh, the idea of one day, you know, we will be beyond this. Uh, that is something that uh, a scholar you may have heard of, uh, or you may know her work, Kimberly Crenshaw. Mm-hmm. She's yeah. a critical race scholar, but she also coined the term intersectionality. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I started tweeting about uh, Trek uh, some months ago, I like came out to my followers. I was like, you know what? <laughs> I love, I love Star Trek. I just got to tell y'all. I've never talked about it publicly, but I got to tell y'all. Like, I really love it. <laughs> And then, you know, she was, she was really hype. Um, She was letting me know, you know, she's also in a Star Trek. And some years ago, she'd actually given a talk 
about, not, not about Far Beyond the Stars, but about how Star Trek sometimes can actually be a part of um, a dynamic of racism that people don't talk enough about, which is sort of this idea that, you know, kind of magical thinking about how we're all going to get over racism, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the idea that it's going to be a utopia, or even within Star Trek that, you know, in a couple of centuries, you know, we're going to figure this out, <laughs> which yeah. is absurd. But I think Far Beyond the Stars kind of has elements of both, right? On the one hand, elements of taking a look at the realities of racism, but also this aspiration and this desire that we will get over it. But the how is not explicated, right? Like there's no, (laughs) there's nothing in the episode that explains how we're going to get over you know, centuries of, of, of violent anti-Black racism and white supremacy. There's nothing in the episode that, that explains that, right? Trek doesn't try to explain that, mm-hmm. but it gets you wrapped up in this, not just desire to overcome and transcend, but also this idea that there was, you know, a vision that a Black writer, that, that within the creative imagination of a Black writer could exist a universe, an entire universe where anti-Blackness is no longer a factor. Mm-hmm. Like that is powerful. And, and to then get into like the microdynamics of racism in the workplace, you know, I think a lot of us can identify with. Absolutely. That. So it was, just, it was a very powerful episode, of course. Yeah. I, I also cry every time I watch that, every time I watch that episode and every time I watch The Visitor, I'm in tears you know what movie do you remember do you recall like what what scene or what in particular moves you to tears or just the whole thing it's the whole thing cumulatively but sometimes it's when um uh jake is getting beat down um that's usually when they start and by the time we get to avery's breakdown um you know in the office i'm breaking down too because of the weight of of the history, you know, because, you know, because this, this history is written into our DNA, you know, it's in the marrow of my bones, literally, you know, so to watch something like, and I think I have a different sensory reaction to it than say my white friends watching it, who are also strongly affected by, by it. But I believe that, you know, because it's the history of my people and because I'm carrying this history within me, it's visceral um, you know, um, you know, I'm not empathizing, I'm experiencing. Mm-hmm. And, I, think, uh, I think another thing about, uh, Far Beyond the Stars, just because it's talking about science fiction writing, I mean, we've had stories about Black people wanting to be writers, but this particular genre of writing is still something that people are, you know, we have a book club right now where we're going through, uh, the black sci-fi writers of you know early ones like Samuel L. Delaney and we're talking about Stephen Barnes and people haven't heard of these they don't know this stuff so that was the other layer in this that really got me my brother is a sci-fi writer um, and this, this it just really was visceral for me to see Benny get beat down for writing something that I mean I used to see my brother writing his stories at five and six years old and drawing his pictures, you know, when he finally got his book published. But that is, 
even more so for me that it was this kind of writing that was at the core of that episode. Well, I think it's too, I'm sorry. Also, I know it's not the idea that we picturing ourselves, having the ability to picture ourselves in the future, to write ourselves into the history of the future. You know, that's at that core of why sci-fi, right? Why, why this genre? Because if we can't envision ourselves in the future, what hope do we have? Right. And like, I don't, even if other people don't see me there, Mm -hmm. I've got to see myself there. That is hugely important. Um, The idea that Black people exist in the future, right? Far into the future, the persistence of Blackness. And I think sometimes people might not realize you rewind the clock a hundred years. W.B. Du Bois, uh, one of the founding sociologists uh, and one of the greatest intellectuals of the 20th century, He was working and living and writing at a time when it was common for scientists to argue, racist scientists to argue, that Black people were going to disappear. They they believed and they argued that people of African descent were going to go extinct. This was an accepted and taught and promulgated uh, uh, belief among, among scientists. And so, first of all, that is not true, <laughs> number one, <laughs> but also Black people had to insist on our persistence in the face of scientists writing us out of existence and in the face of colonial forms of violence, anti-Black racism and structural forms of violence that were trying to make us disappear. And so, and some some would argue that you know, those forms of violence and that intent to disappear Black people has, has, has not ended. And so it is super powerful in that episode to have a Black sci-fi writer, number one, uh, to your point, Sabrina, but also this insistence on Black life beyond, right, far beyond the present moment. Uh, I think that's incredibly powerful, even if we don't know, you know, how it all happens and how we get from right. here to there, the intent and the vision and Benny Russell's insistence that, you know, I don't remember the exact quote, but that his ideas were real, that they, that they carried reality, right? Even in the face of those who were trying to negate his existence and the reality of his ideas. I mean, I think that's what, what, what made me lose it. What got me crying. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. It was visceral in his performance. And, you know, everyone knows you watch the documentary. They talk about how Avery Brooks, um, you know, himself and, and lost himself in that scene and stayed on the ground uh, for a while. And, you know, I don't know what, what made him get back up, but it was real for him. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I've watched that so many times that um, probably the, the scene when he's on the ground at the end, I'm probably you know it gets me but I I think I don't get there until that scene because I've seen that I love I love that I love that episode but that you know that that scene those scenes are played everywhere you know we've seen them for years they're in books that we've read they're they're in every uh Brewster sisters you know they're they're in every every so-called black show that we see that that kind of scene that you know, the black guy is going to get beat up or he, he's wrongly accused. You know, it's always there. But I, I like, I, 
uh, Cisco on the ground, knowing it's Cisco because he's my captain and him just unable to get up and the rawness of that, that's what gets me. I think it's more of, because I know that Cisco, Benny is Cisco to me. He's not Benny, you know? So that, that's what gets me is the, that my, my captain is on the ground because of these things that are going on. And even he can't surmount this, you know, all of this crap that we deal with every day. He's still, you know, it's still there. It's still something that we're still fighting for. And I think that's what gets me every time I see that. Um, and it, it, it always gets me at the very, very end, you know, when I know he's not getting up and mm-hmm. I, I've seen it tons of times, but it's just that part where he's just like, you know, just down. And I know he's not, I'm like, whew, you know, it's that kind of thing. And I think uh, it takes me a while afterward. I cannot watch another episode after that one. I always take a break. Um, mm-hmm. I do the same thing when they kill Jadzia. <laughs> I'm still so mad about that. Right. <laughs> right. So, there's a lot of that where you, I think DS9, especially if you watch it a lot of times, there's the, because you, you see more, you process more, and then you have to go, okay, I need a break from this for a minute because I got to process some of these shows, some of these episodes right. I just saw. And then, you know, I'll go and watch maybe Enterprise or something. No offense, <laughs> The way they killed Jazia was so disrespectful. I was disrespectful. Oh. It was so disrespectful, and there was yeah, no they need for did that. her so dirty. They did her dirty. They really did. They really did. I mean, imagine like twenty years later, still being pissed about it. That's me, you know. Because I mean, I I love Jazia. I I loved Major Kira the most, like oh, yeah, a, yeah. A, as women on the show, and um, that I got to relate with every time I got to see the show, but, um, Jazia was my girl because they were starting to write her as a really kick-ass woman, Yeah, you know, and, and she was one of, you know, so I was like, great, I have two kick-ass women on this show, you know, and, uh, yeah, it, it still makes me mad. She was good with Worf. It was, mm-hmm. a, I enjoyed that relationship. I, I thought she brought out in Worf aspects of his, uh, personality and even his manhood that I don't know that any of us knew was there. I mean, right. he, he like blossomed with, uh, with Jadzia, uh, but they, you know, the documentary actually seeing the actress, Terry, Fer- Terry Farrell, she was still so upset. And I thought her vulnerability in, you know, being public and open with how hurt and upset she still was clearly as a fan it it had it had me in my feelings. I, I'm still mad about mm-hmm. our girl. Didn't even go down on a mission. She I know, right? In the, the temple. In, the, in temple. the temple. In the temple. Like just like, come on now. She should have gone out with some. Mark kingdoms. Alamo felt about it. He had to kill Mark her. Alimo. Mark Alimo. Mark Alimo. He had to kill her. He's like, why do I have to do it? <laughs> <laughs> he, people hate him to this day before because of that, but. You know, well, I think I they mean, hate I, him for more than that. <laughs> <laughs> for more than <laughs> I think um, one of the things that I wanted to to sort of get into a little bit was um, similarly between Deep Space Nine and uh, with Discovery with Later Trek. One of the to me seems like a veiled racist attack on on these shows that it, they're too dark, you know, mm, um, yeah. and that 
people want to, and you hear this, well, you used to hear it a lot before a lot of the Trek community really started to rally and recognize that they have to speak up um, because we had these really negative vocal minority of very negative people who were you know, always talking about, I don't want politics in my Trek, or, you know, I expect Trek to be, Trek is about the utopia and the hope that there is, you know, and again, going back to what you brought up, like, it, how do you get to this supposed utopia, you know, that people didn't want that in their conversation, they wanted original Trek, mm-hmm. you know, they wanted their white captain, and the trio, you know, uh, and, that's it you know um they didn't want to deal with repercussions of like any of our starships at, uh in, encountering other cultures um and changes that they've made might have made to these cultures um you know they didn't want to deal with any thoughts about you know it's not pretty getting to utopia you know <laughs> it's a hard struggle you know and i see that paralleled in both of these shows you know the idea of utopia Um, First of all, I think when I came to DS9 and I started to get back into Trek, I sort of took for granted, again, having kind of come up on on TNG in particular, that Star Trek was representing a utopia. But looking back, and not just at DS9, I think we have to even look at the original series, uh, DS9, and, and the other franchises, but we have to say, was it ever a utopia? We have endless war. We have, you know, uh, enemy races. We have, you know, genocide and atrocities. And it didn't just start with DS9. No. I think there definitely is a, is a different tone and a different way of, of showing darkness and evil uh, in DS9. But I don't think if you have warfare you know, in the 23rd, 24th century, I don't think we're living, I don't think that's a utopia. I think the the utopia was more of the Federation uh, or more of Earth. Earth was the utopia. That's what they were portraying. I don't think they, the utopia was out in the stars. Okay. I think utopia was supposed to be the Federation and Earth. Because I, Cisco made that, made that comment on one of those, one of the episodes, uh, you know, Earth is perfect. Right, you know, right, right. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing, you know, what do you, what do you, we, there's no complaints about Earth because everything is there, everything you need. But then you go out into these stars and you have to deal with people who, who don't want to be part of the Federation, who don't want to hear anything from humans. You know, it's, they don't like yeah. the Ferengi. I like my money. You know, you keep your okay. darn money. I want my money, you know. But I guess what I'm saying is, and I, I hear you, but if the, even if we go with the idea that, you know, Earth becomes some utopia, the Federation's doing great. If the Federation is imperiled and it has to try to protect Earth from all these enemies, we still that's still not a utopic universe. So even the existence of menace, the existence of evil, the existence of war in, in the expanse of the cosmos, mm-hmm. I think we were never in a utopia to begin with, number one. Number two, from the perspective of a lot of scholars in Black studies uh, and definitely critical race scholarship too, we learned that we need to be suspicious of the idea of utopia at all. Because particularly as we see it um, in popular culture, but also in in Star Trek uh, and in in the wider sort of uh, Western culture more generally, 
the idea of a linear progression, right, of humanity getting better and better and perfecting itself, of social systems uh, being able to become perfect, that's actually one of the core ideas uh, at the heart of white supremacy. When we go back, you know, in, in Star Trek, we have the eugenic, eugenics wars, mm-hmm. right? Well, eugenics starts uh, in, uh, in the West as a practice of scientific perfection, try, you know, survival of the fittest while trying to breed out groups that are considered unfit and less than, mm-hmm. whether they're racially inferior or whether, uh, you know, ableism is a huge part of eugenics, trying to breed out, you know, people with disabilities, people who are considered less intelligent. All of this is, is, is kind of, you know, a part of modern Western racist thought. And so if we kind of rewind before the last several hundred years, and we sit with the reality that in civilizations all around the world, there have been alternative ways of thinking about community and time. Well, we're not necessarily thinking about linear progression, but we might be thinking of cycles, right? We might not be thinking of being perfect. We might be thinking of living in harmony and balance. Um, So I think it's important to be skeptical of the idea of utopia, not only because uh, you know, the hard work of actually explaining how do you get rid of all bad things is considerable. <laughs> but also, you know, uh, it's, it's, again, the idea of a utopia and linear progression and linear perfectibility uh, has been something that uh, has been right at the center of, 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 of racism for a long time. And it's also why I think, you know, a lot of Star Trek fans and, and uh, science fiction fans uh, who are white uh, don't necessarily want to question some of these things because mm-hmm. it requires not just thinking about, well, the future might not be as great as we imagine it could be. It also means looking right now yeah. at the horrible atrocities and inequalities and violences that are still very much happening on an ongoing everyday basis. Yeah, I I, I absolutely agree with you. I think that, um, being a Star Trek fan can be work sometimes, you know, know? and I think that there's a whole nother fan base out there that is uh, for people who don't want to do this, this work, this heavy lifting. I think once you, once you declare yourself a Star Trek fan um, and you buy into our, uh, the philosophies involved, you know, surround in the, in, in the franchise and, um, and the community in the, you know, that surrounds the franchise that, uh, that you're really buying into, you know, a philosophy of a, of trying to live a different way of life and trying to do work on 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 being better or growing stronger or becoming, you know, more of a, a cohesive community of peoples, you know. And um, you know, like I said, there's a whole nother franchise that if you just want to stick to stories of good and evil, it's out there for you, you know. <laughs> That's it. That's as good as it's going to get. Oh, yeah, okay. It's definitely a conversation after, you know, once you start getting into the the whole universe, you know, I like that you, I love everything you just said. Um, I like that I had to think about that. I was like, wow, that is really eugenics. I, when you, Mm -hmm. when you pointed that out, I was like, that is exactly what is going on, you know, but yeah, there's a lot to it. I've always wanted 
a Star Trek series that the, that that has something to do with what happened after the eugenics war. How did how did Earth get to where Definitely. it is? Because mm-hmm. that's they do talk about certain things, and I read a lot of the books. And one of the books is telling us that it was um, the, you know, it was the continent who got everybody together because they didn't want anything to do with everybody else because they were in war. So they united because that's where your horror is supposed to be. The from. continent of Africa, you continent mean. Of United States of, of Africa. Mm-hmm. And they, they're the ones that started the earth uh, getting uh, unified. So I would love for more information on that to come out because there's, there's a lot that they could do with that. Seems like this is the best this calls time for to a do black it. writer. This calls for this, this calls, calls for, for a black writer. To get busy. To see, it would be an amazing series of books, of films, television show. I mean, the idea of Africa, right, which is where we all come from, right, right, the the birthplace of human civilization. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be very interesting to see that represented as the place where you know, humanity redeems itself in the wake of the eugenics wars. I think that would be. But it makes so much sense. Why wouldn't it be Africa? Yeah, well, it better be Africa. Right, it should be. There's no future for, I mean, I feel there's no future for our species Mm -hmm. without uh, Africa and African people uh, flourishing. Right, Mm -hmm. I agree. And, And we have a long way to go before the violences of colonialism that continue to target not just people still on the continent of Africa, but the African diaspora globally, right? We have a long way to go to even be truthful about what is still happening. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes back to this question of utopia and idealism. And I think the reality is, I mean, listen, Star Trek is entertainment. A lot of people want their entertainment to give a sense of escapism. I know I do at times. Mm-hmm. I just want, I mean, listen, you know, shit is rough sometimes. You That's just right. want, to, <laughs> want something to make you, you know, feel like you're somewhere else. Right. And um, I think, you know, at least for me as a, as a black woman, as a black queer woman, you know, even my escapism, I still live within the realities of these, you know, systems of, of oppression. So I can still tolerate, and in fact, I want even my escapism to have some realism in it. And I think for others who live within certain systems of privilege, you know, the the capacity and the capaciousness to be able to sit with that complexity, I think that you get so much in DS9, right, that gray, and not just, you know, they're good guys and bad guys, but no, you know, it's actually, it's complex, and... Mm -hmm. There's not always a happy ending. One thing I wanted to ask you all, um, and maybe you've already discussed it on, 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 on the show, but do you think at the end of DS9 that Cisco, the emissary, becomes a magical Negro? Oh, my God. Were you looking at my notes? Were you looking at my notes? That Only was going to be my question to you. Only the prophets can Right. Tell. That's my oh. answer. That is always what Only the prophets know. <laughs> Oh, that oh, was really. Ex- what do you think? Is he a magical Negro at that point? Because I uh, kind of seems like it. I mean, he slips into the. I I wrote. I also wrote down. You know, does he become? Are they trying to place him as a messiah figure? You know, I mean, like 
I don't know because we don't spend all of the time on Deep Space Nine with him operating as a magical Negro. He doesn't come back and magically solve anybody's problems, you know? And, and so, you know, that's what, for those reasons, I'm thinking, mm, not magical Negro yet, but certainly he's set up to become magical Negro. If there was a season eight. <laughs> right. They opened the door and we yes. said, ah, uh, nah, I don't think that's the way we want to go. Would he been, like, would he get some, you know, gain some Q type of knowledge about the manipulation of time and space and matter and energy and be able to point a finger and fix something or take you back into time or, you know, like. Sounds like I, Picard season two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. We might, we might, we might get answers to these questions. I know we might. I, and I, our magical Negro. Are you watching? You know, I think a lot of the series, he, he was resisting that role. Um, and I'm yeah. trying to remember, was it um, some interview I saw with Avery Brooks? I don't know if it was a clip in uh, the captain's documentary, if it was something else, but he seemed to be saying that something along the lines to paraphrase that an African is, is sort of always kind of associated with spirituality in, in the, and I think what was unsaid was in the Western imaginary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wonder about that for deep space nine, if in the right, like why, why was I, listen, I, I also write in my work about spirituality and I, you know, I am I'm, I'm into spirituality, but, and I like that part of DS nine, but it is curious that the first black captain that we see right is from the beginning episode one yeah being called to connect with the prophets yeah you know and and even for him to have to resist that like picard never had to deal with that did kirk have to do i mean they didn't have to deal with like spirit a spiritual role being thrust upon them and you have that in dsn by the end of it I mean, what is his status? Is he a prophet? Like, I really don't even know what he is. He is, we see him and in, dive into the fiery depths. And then he, right, like you said, is it a Messiah kind of resurrection? Is he a being now that transcends time? Um, which we get in that line to Cassidy when he says something like, she's like, are you coming back or something? And, he's, and he says something like, maybe, maybe, yesterday maybe yesterday maybe a year from now right oh, yeah you know what <laughs> <laughs> somebody tell me that i'm gonna be upset maybe yesterday right. yesterday right well you know and, and i think this is why i love burnham so much because for the first time we do have a black person and a black woman in that captain seat and she doesn't have you know some alien thing or some super eyes or she's the emissary this is just a badass sister and i can't wait to see the ready room is anybody else really anxious to see i just want to i want to see it all i just i just want to see it all from episode one to whatever i just give it to me i just want to see it yeah like you were saying saying human fully human yeah fully human she's fully human finally Right. And I just want to see, um, I, I, and listening to everyone react to this, you know, we did a show comparing Burnham to Kirk. 
And we said, you know, she basically does the same stuff Jimbo does, but you get bent out of shape about it because the sister's doing it. But she's really Jim Kirk. They're the the contemporaries. Yeah, they're the same type of captains. Right, it's from the the Mm -hmm. same Kobayashi Maru. They both took the test at the same pretty much time. But, um, (laughs) but, you know, one day I want, I want, I love Michael Burnham, Discovery. I'm super excited about the new season. Um, One day, can we have a series where a black woman, a black somebody is the captain from episode one? We, <laughs> episode one, thank you. We don't have to work for it. Right. We yeah. don't have to go to prison. Yeah. Don't have like <laughs> thank you. Yeah. And can we can we talk about this? What is with the manacles? Why do they always want to put a sister in some manacles before lower decks? Lower decks. When Lower Decks did that, I just want to say we finally got a sister who is actually a captain already, yep. and then here we go again. She's in manacles. I wow. have not seen Lower Decks yet, but I, oh, I saw the image. No, no, okay. I've already seen. I, I follow Trek people, okay. so mm-hmm. I saw the the image of this black woman in in chains. I was like, oh no, they didn't. Yes, they, yes, did. they did. And I if even y'all are listening. Y'all need to stop putting black people and black women in chains. This is what we're talking about. Or sweat boxes, or let's Mm. see, what else have they done? Or killing them. Right? Or killing them. Hello, Picard writers. Again, Uh. we told you, Picard writers, you're on blast. Picard writers, if you're Mm. listening, and we know you are. are. We know you are. We already put you on blast about killing all your black representing people on your show within the first two minutes of seeing them. Right. Except for Raffi. Raffi's the only one. Raffi's the only one. And you didn't kill her son or the grandbaby, but he's sure as hell not in this show. We don't have a relationship with Raffi and her son anymore, so we don't get to see him, so it doesn't count. You know, I'm telling you, can we get it? Can we get it, please? We put it, I mean, I love Star Trek. This is why we put you on blast, Star Trek people, because, you know, we're supposed to be getting better. Now, I just related to this, but I have to ask y'all because I feel like I, this is the perfect group of, of folk who can tell me and guide me in what I should do. So, um, oh, baby, <laughs> lower decks, right? People tell me that I need to watch Voyager, which is another show I did not want. I still don't want to watch Voyager. I, I watched the first episode the other day. I was so mad. It was so bad. I don't know if y'all of Voyager stands. It was the first episode. They had, it was a Southern farm. It was no black oh, people there. there no. was, it was so bad. Anyway, and the wigs. <laughs> Can I see the wigs in that the first wigs. episode of Voyager? Everybody's hair is messed up. Nobody's yeah, they, it hair gets Okay, they said, so the question is, <laughs> do I need to watch Voyager before watching Lower Decks? No. No. Mm-mm. I can dive no. right in. Well, maybe, 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 um, prodigy you could watch before you need to watch voyager before watching prodigy maybe because janeway is in that no. one but lower no, decks prodigy, i don't see why you have up, to. no no because no, prod so prodigy is set up for people to learn about star trek yeah so you can uh, watch prodigy without seeing anything okay so it's because it's set up for kids to learn about what's going on with the federation star trek uh starfleet so you don't need anything for for prodigy. And lower decks i, I don't have to watch okay do you think listen if you don't want to watch voyager don't right do you think i should should i should i suffer voyager's through all right voyager's all right I, no, you know, here's the thing 
Voyager is fine. It, Voyager is really not that bad of a show. It's not like I have a lot of Voyager love now. I mean, they, yep. they had some great stories and mm-hmm. yeah. Kate Mulgrew as a captain really got to do some kick-ass stuff. And, okay. you know, she love was her. a woman of science and reasoning until you push that last button. And she was right. like, look, damn it. I tried to be nice about it. Yeah, season four, take she ain't taking no more nonsense. I got she's take my done. earrings off. You yeah, know. She's done so in season four. So. It has, it has... She's it has Bolana. It has Bolana. So you have to watch it for Bolana Torres. Bolana <laughs> Oh, okay. So Jane Way's not a Karen. Hmm. Because they gave her Karen hair in the first episode. And I said, I don't know. So I, and it's I hear an it, issue. The hair is an issue. She didn't even like it. It seemed like it's an issue it. with all all women, <laughs> all of Star Trek is a hair. Because issue. they had a bunch of men. Who yes. were the ones making decisions about how these people are supposed to look, and they were to appeal to our audience, or we think like because they didn't know how to respect a woman in a yeah. in a position in real life, especially not a position of power. Yeah, it's exactly. in a bun. power. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I, I think what I'm asking I, is, what kind of white woman is Captain Janeway? That's what I'm asking. Yeah. I, it, it gets she she's she's also progressing you know as she goes on um hmm. i don't know i think if you look okay, at her let me let me ask this a different way invited to the barbecue what kind of white woman is captain janeway could she come to the barbecue she's not gonna come to the barbecue what, what yeah. first of all she she don't want to come there you <laughs> she, go yeah. she don't yeah. want to she, that's exactly she's it. not She's just not gonna want to come. She's she's doing something else, you know. Um, she's just she is a she is a Starfleet captain. Okay, and you could take that any way you want. It's just that she is she's trying to help these people get to where they gotta go. She's very focused. I mean, I can't. I think she's just different from the rest of them. Do you even consider her white? Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. Okay. <laughs> No, no, she's she's a white woman mm-hmm. uh, that's a captain of a starship, but I don't think there's any any leeway there. You know, that's who she is. I would say, and, yeah, her, her, her Karen. The Karen issue about her is that when she does pop off, she's got the she's got the she's got the backing. I mean, yeah, she, she backs it up. She yeah. has the right. She could back it up. But Karen, in my opinion, is somebody that's going to pop off and say some stupid shit. And they don't know what they're talking about, and they don't really know who they're talking to. Right. So they're just they're just talking. They're just yeah. saying stuff because they think that they are self-important, and they think that they're all this, mm-hmm. and that they can have whatever they want to have because you know they're white and they're right. right. But I think Janeway, even though she is white and she did have that bun, she got rid of it. Yeah. Um, I think she's the real deal. And even though she gets on my last freaking nerve a lot of times, she can't be alive. Sometimes I'm like, golly, can we just not go see what the anomaly is doing and just get home? Can we just I go know. home? Can we just go home? Uh, like, look, be, you know, but that's whiteness too, right? Like, mm, let's go look at this thing. That's what I told you. Like, you're like, we have a we have an objective here. Yeah, but we're here to explore. Like. We are 30,000 years from home. That is the primary objective now. (laughs) But I think also, though, in in a Janeway defense, she asks questions. You know, Janeway 
ask questions. She might ignore the hell out of Chakotay, though. I mean, Ooh. he's her first officer, and he, she never takes Chakotay's advice. Like, <laughs> never, 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 ever, never, ever. And, and so it's like that gets annoying, you know, too. And, and there's a weird dynamic between her and Chakotay. Um, and Tuvok. Well, no, I'm just talking yeah, about her and Chakotay right two? now. You know, because he is her first in command, her second in command, but um, she, de- I don't know if she really respects him, <laughs> you oh, know, I don't think so. you know, and, uh, and so there's Karenism in, in that aspect of Janeway. I think she's complicated. I don't think it's an yeah. easy answer. I don't think it's a, well, maybe you know, I'm because it's, it. uh, maybe I'll, I'll give her a try. I think, oh, you know, you I think to try to um, check it. I think it, you know, for me, okay, so for me, like, I'm a, I'm going to watch, because it's Star Trek, I'm going to watch it, I'm regardless, it. like, regardless, and, but I always take some of the stuff, even with the grain of salt still, you know, and I don't try to analyze it through my knowledge now, often, you know, because like you said, like, it is my entertainment in so many ways, and I just needed to be that for a while, you know, like, I, yeah. I just... I can't because it's, it is my cup of tea on a hot day. I mean, on, a, on a, my hot cup of tea on a cold day, you know, like I, I need to let it be that for me. Right. Sometimes I can go there, but you know, and they have a lot of Voyager fans um, that we know who are adamant about the Voyager fandom and, and Janeway is their captain and, oh. and that's all good. And I think that there's some great things, some great stuff episodes in Voyager like I really and re-watching it now I really came to respect a lot of these episodes um it's not my favorite Trek mm-hmm. you know but, but I'm not going to throw it under the bus yeah. either but I'm it's not, not yes, I'm, she's not, not coming favorite, to my she's it's... not coming to the cookout but she's not a terrible person either I was already warned not to watch some lizard episode on Voyager oh. They said, "Don't, don't, don't watch the. Do you know what? It's a yeah. It's a silly episode. This Wait, which silly. one? She talked the, about when, warp when, ten, the warp ten one. When warp oh. ten, when when Janeway and Paris um have babies, devolve or whatever. Like, had the babies, you watch the that lizard just babies. For the laugh. I mean, that's you, just you gotta, hilarious. You, so I say watch it, it because now you know what the joke is about. Yeah. So now you get the joke. And that, and going back to, uh, going back to, um, lower decks. I mean, that's the only it's just to have fun like to to know it to have that extra level of joke on lower right. decks you know yeah. it, that's the only reason that you would want to watch it anything yeah. before watching you don't need to watch it before lower decks lower decks is still funny yes. even without relying on all the star trek lore humor okay, okay. Yeah. thank you to me <laughs> no, I, me. I agree i agree too believe yeah. me crystal I, it took me a while to come around to lower decks because i just was like really? oh, please please oh. yeah but, it's but you know to go yeah. back to lower decks though like they better mike mcmahon if you're listening and we know you, you are, are you better have a good reason to have captain freeman in some shackles i already put Hold you on, on blast on twitter mm-hmm. You on just the Twitter. got me over and then you <laughs> lost me <laughs> i just okay so we, we're getting out of time so i want to bring us back because um i know that you've got to go soon and you know i really appreciate all the time that you've spent talking to us about um deep space nine about trek in general and helping us to see it um through a different lens which a lot of us 
are not looking at, especially us older generation of Trek fans, Mm -hmm. you know, we didn't come up with intersectionality. We didn't come up with big words to describe what we were going through. You know, we came up just, you know, it was like, oh, you know, and one of the reasons that I appreciate you so much. Oh, and we forgot to do this at the top of the show. Thank you, Dr. Muhammad Noor, our best friend in the world for putting us together with you. Muhammad, you're the best. Uh, Hi, Muhammad. Love you. Bio Trekkie, y'all. If y'all are not watching the Bio Trekkie on YouTube, you better get with it because wonderful. He, and yes. he will tell you why they're black Klingons, and, and black Andorians, <laughs> and black Andorians. <laughs> um, but you know, Lord, I forgot what I was going to say. We, we got to have intersectionality when we were growing up. Yes. Oh, so, oh, this is what I was going to say. Yeah. So what I love about your work in particular, though, and what I have read of your work and how I came to know you through different op-eds and stuff, especially what I call the summer of reckoning, when we were all entranced with the trial and, you know, and we were protesting and everything, is that you make big words and big concepts very relatable for people, you know, and, um, and I really appreciate that because oftentimes academics get lost in academia and have a really hard time communicating ideas to anybody else that's not going to use a $5 word, right. you know, um, and I don't see the point in, in actually studying anything if you can't <laughs> communicate it to anybody. No. <laughs> um, so I really do appreciate that. And, and, and so I think though that that's serving you really well with this new book that you just released, right? Rise Up, because you're addressing young adults in this book right yeah so here's the book rise up um there we go rise up how you can join the fight against white supremacy and yeah it's my first book for young people uh, i think you know 12 to 18 year olds but honestly people of all ages it's a book where i try to take the reader on a journey to understand the roots of systemic racism why we're still dealing with it today. So you see the connection between the past and the present, but also really importantly, the stories of folks, including and especially Black folks, Indigenous people and people of color and white allies and and accomplices who have been standing up and pushing back and rising up against white supremacy for, for generations. So the aim is to educate, but also inspire with stories of resistance and to help young people, and again, people of all ages, to really kind of have a roadmap for, for understanding what it means to practice uh, anti-racism and, and challenge racism in, in your everyday life. So I'm excited. The book is finally out, and I hope it's a good resource for educators, community members, and folks uh, who are looking to better understand and, and, and rise up against racism. I can't wait to get it. Go ahead, Sabrina. Can't wait. No, I'm just going to say we'll have all the information on how to get Dr. Fleming's books in the notes. So if you are, you know, just make sure you check and click and go get the book. Mm-hmm. And Star Trek is mentioned in the book. Um, nice. So let you know it's in there. There's an Easter egg. Look. I see. That's what I was going to say because I think um, Star Trek writers might. <laughs> You might have, oh, yeah. have a, a resource to use for developing new storylines, y'all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, we want to see 
representation, we don't just want representation, right? We want uh, perspectives and images on our screens that are challenging the status quo and giving us something new. We want also more Black writers uh, and directors and creators. And we're producers. And producers, yeah. So we need to disrupt, right, the system where white men have been telling the stories they want to tell. Um, and we need to have more than inclusion. We need stories that challenge uh, the status quo and give us new possibilities. I love I'm it. so about I know, right? I'm so about it. Thank you so much for joining us. I mean, this has been, I feel like I could just talk to you all night. Um, it's, you know, it's lovely to hear your perspectives they really make me think a lot of times you know I think I know something and then you ask a challenging question and and I realize like hmm I haven't thought about that and that's the greatest gift so we appreciate you we thank you so much for being on the show thank you for having me and I feel the same way listening to the Sapphire Sisters podcast you make me think <laughs> about things in new ways I learn a lot from you and I appreciate your show so much so thank you for your work Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> hey, Yvette. Yeah. Use that time. You want to tell folks how they can reach us and talk to us about anything that uh, they heard, if they have ideas or thoughts about what they heard in the show? Sure. You can find us at SciFiSisters.com. That's S-Y-F-Y-S-I-S-T-A-S.com. Join us on the mothership. That's M-U-T-H-A-S-H-I-P. And the Sci-Fi Sisters Book Club, both on Facebook. Download the Trek Geeks Network app where you can find us and our family of podcasts on the Trek Geeks Network. On Instagram, sci-fi.sisters. And we are also on the Twitter at Sci-Fi Sisters. After listening to this podcast, please rate us and write a review. We may just read it on an upcoming episode. And Dr. Fleming, where can people look for you on Twitter? Because I know you're super Twitter active. You can also find me on the Twitter. So my <laughs> handle is always the self, always the self. And you can learn more about my work at crystalfleming.com. Latest book, like we heard, is called Rise Up. Before that, How to Be Less Stupid About Race. And yeah, I mean, I'm just so thrilled to be in conversation with you and look forward to, listen, anytime you want to talk track, holler at me yes. on Twitter or I'd love to come back literally anytime. So thank you awesome. so much for having me. Awesome. Thank awesome. you so much for being here. And we want to say, uh, send a shout out to the baddest engineer in the universe. Dose the anonymous one. You can find him if you, uh, you can find him at dose the anonymous one at gmail.com. That's D O S T H E A N O N Y M O U S the number one at gmail.com. He has an Instagram now too, right? Yes. What's that? Do you remember? Uh, in the notes. <laughs> in the notes. <laughs> dose, <laughs> look for dose. I think it's dose underscore. Underscore one. It's, one. it's, it's dose, dose the anonymous one. one. Look for dose the anonymous one on Instagram. Dose, I'm sorry. Please <laughs> forgive me. Uh, but he's the uh, he's awesome. And if you need a uh, engineering services or musical beats or anything, he's the one to look for. Y'all, we love you. We thank you so much. We are deeply honored that you all choose to spend some time with us so we'll see you next time peace love and hair grease hey y'all are you looking for that perfect holiday or birthday gift for that special geek in your life 
why not check out the world's first app-enabled Tribble from Jay and Kalia at Science Division. These soft and cuddly fuzz buckets actually trill for friends and squeal at Klingons. Adopt your Tribble today at Science Division. That's sciencediv.com. Science Division, by fans, for fans. Trouble's never been this fun. 